CD 9. Nanny raced up some stairs, a couple of vampires at her heels. The vampires were hampered because they hadn't got to grips with not being able to fly, but there was something else wrong with them as well. Tea! One screamed. I must have tea! Nanny pushed open the door to the battlements. They followed her and tripped over Igor's leg as he stepped out of the shadows. He raised two sharpened table legs. How'd you like your steaks, boys? he shouted excitedly as he struck. You should have said you liked my spiders. Nanny leaned against the wall to get her breath back. Granny's somewhere here, she panted. Don't ask me how, but those two were craving a cup of tea, and I reckon only Esme could mess up someone's head like that. The sounds of the door knocker boomed around the courtyard below. At the same time, the door at the other end of the battlements opened. Half a dozen vampires advanced. They're acting very dumb, aren't they? said Nanny. Give me a couple more steaks. Run out of steaks, Nanny. OK, then pass me a bottle of holy water. Hurry up. None left, Nanny. We got nothing. Got an orange, Nanny. What for? Run out of lemons. What good will an orange do if I hit a vampire in the mouth with it? said Nanny, eyeing the approaching creatures. Igor scratched his head. Well, I suppose they won't catch cold so easily. The knocking reverberated around the castle again. Several vampires were creeping across the courtyard. Nanny caught a flicker of light around the edge of the door. Instinct took over. As the vampires began to run, she grabbed Igor and pulled him down. The arch exploded, every stone and plank drifting away on an expanding bubble of eyeball-searing flame. It lifted the vampires off their feet, and they screamed as the fire carried them up. When the brightness had faded a little, Nanny peered carefully into the courtyard. A bird, house-sized, with wings of flame wider than the castle, reared in the broken doorway. Mightily Oates pushed himself up onto his hands and knees. Hot flames roared around him, thundering like fiercely burning gas. His skin should have been blackening already, but against all reason, the fire felt no more deadly than a hot desert wind. The air smelled of camphor and spices. He looked up. The flames wrapped Granny Weatherwax, but they looked oddly transparent, not entirely real. Here and there, little gold and green sparks glittered on her dress, and all the time the fire whipped and tore around her. She looked down at him. "'You're in the wings of a phoenix now, Mr Oates,' she shouted above the noise, "'and you ain't burned!' The bird, flapping its wings on her wrist, was incandescent. "'How can you're the scholar? "'But male birds are always ones for the big display, aren't they?' "'Males? This is a male phoenix?' "'Yes!' It leapt. What flew... What flew, as far as Oates could see, was a great bird shape of pale flame, with the little form of the real bird inside it, like the head of a comet. He added to himself, if that is indeed the real bird. It swooped up into the tower. A yell cut off quickly indicated that a vampire hadn't been fast enough. It doesn't burn itself, Oates said weakly. Shouldn't think so, said Granny, stepping over the wreckage. Wouldn't be much point. Then it must be magical fire. They say that whether it burns you or not is up to you, said Granny. I used to watch them as a kid. My Granny told me about them. Some cold nights you see them dancing in the sky over the hub, burning green and gold. Oh, you mean the Aurora Coriolis, said Oates, trying to make his voice sound matter-of-fact. But actually that's caused by, um, magic particles hitting the... 
Dunno what it's caused by, said Granny sharply, but what it is is the phoenix dancing. She reached out. I ought to hold your arm. In case I fall over, said Oates, still watching the burning bird. That's right. As he took her weight, the phoenix above them flung back its head and screamed at the sky. And to think uh, I thought it was an allegorical creature, said the priest. Well, even allegories have to live, said Granny Weatherwax. Vampires are not naturally cooperative creatures. It's not in their nature. Every other vampire is a rival for the next meal. In fact, the ideal situation for a vampire is a world in which every other vampire has been killed off and no one seriously believes in vampires anymore. They are by nature as cooperative as sharks. Vampires are just the same, the only real difference being that they can't spell properly. The remnant of the clan scurried through the keep and headed for a door that for some reason had been left ajar. The bucket, containing a cocktail of waters blessed by a knight of Offler, a high priest of Eo, and a man so generically holy that he hadn't cut his hair or washed for seventy years, landed on the first two to run through. They did not include the Count and his family, who had moved as one into a side tower. There's no point in having underlings if you don't let them be the first to go through suspicious doors. How could you have been so... Lacrimosa began, and to her shock got a slap across the face from her father. All we need to do is remain calm, said the Count. There's no need to panic. You struck me, and most satisfying it was too, said the Count. Careful thought is what will save us. That is why we will survive. It's not working, said Lacrimosa. I'm a vampire. I'm supposed to crave blood. And all I can think about is a cup of tea with three sugars in it. Whatever the hell that is. That old woman's doing something to us, can't you see? Not possible, said the Count. Oh, she's sharp for a human, but I don't reckon there's any way she could get into your head or mine. You're even talking like her, shouted Lacrimosa. Be resolute, my dear, said the Count. Remember, that which does not kill us can only make us stronger. And that which does kill us leaves us dead, snarled Lacrimosa. You saw what happened to the others. You got your fingers burned. A moment's lapse of concentration, said the Count. That old witch is not a threat. She's a vampire, subservient to us. She'll be seeing the world differently. Are you mad? Something killed Cryptopher. He let himself be frightened. The rest of the family looked at the Count. Vlad and Lacrimosa exchanged a glance. I am supremely confident, said the Count. His smile looked like a death mask, waxen and disturbingly tranquil. My mind is like a rock. My nerve is firm. A vampire with his wits about him, or her, of course, can never be defeated. Didn't I teach you this? What's this one? His hand flew from his pocket, holding a square of white cardboard. Oh, father, this is really no time for... Lacrimosa froze, then jerked her arm in front of her face. Put it away! Put it away! It's the Agatean Chlong of destiny! Exactly! Which is merely three straight lines and two curved lines, pleasantly arranged, which... I'd never have known about it if you hadn't told me, you old fool! screamed the girl, backing away. The Count turned to his son. And do you... he began. Vlad sprang back, putting his hand over his eyes. It hurts! he shouted. Dear me, the two of you haven't been practising, the Count began, and turned the card around so that he could look at it. He screwed up his eyes and turned his face away. 
What have you done to us? Lacrimosa screamed. You've taught us how to see hundreds of the damned holy things. They're everywhere. Every religion has a different one. You taught us that, you stupid bastard. Lines and crosses and circles. Oh, my! She caught sight of the stone wall behind her astonished brother and shuddered. Everywhere I look, I see something holy. You've taught us to see patterns. She snarled at her father, teeth exposed. "'It'll be dawn soon,' said the Countess nervously. "'Will it hurt?' "'It won't. Of course it won't,' shouted Count Magpier, "'as the others glanced up at the pale light coming through the high window. "'It's a learned psychochromatic reaction, a superstition. "'It's all in the mind.' "'What else is in our minds, father?' said Vlad coldly. "'The Count was circling, trying to keep an eye on Lacrimosa. "'The girl was flexing her fingers and snarling. "'I said—' "'Nothing's in our minds that we didn't put there,' the Count roared. "'I saw that old witch's mind. It's weak. "'She relies on trickery. She couldn't possibly find a way in. "'I wonder if there are other agendas here.' "'He bared his teeth at Lacrimosa. "'The Countess fanned herself desperately. "'Well, I think we're all getting a little bit overexcited,' she said. "'I think we should all settle down and have a... "'have a nice cup of... of tea, a cup of... "'We're vampires!' Lacrimosa shouted. "'Then let's act like them!' screamed the Count. Agnes opened her eyes, kicked up, and the man with the hammer and stake lost all interest in vampires and in consciousness as well. Agnes removed from her mouth what was this time a fig. "'Can you get it into your stupid heads that I'm not a vampire? "'And this isn't a lemon, it's a fig.' "'And I'd watch that bloke with a stake. "'He's altogether too keen on it. "'I reckon there's some psychology there.' "'I wouldn't have let him use it,' said Piotr. "'But you did act very odd, and then you just collapsed. "'So we thought we'd better see what woke up.' "'He stood up. "'The citizens of Escrow stood watching among the trees, "'their faces gaunt in the flickering torchlight. "'It's all right. She's still not one,' he said. "'There was some general relaxation. "'You really have changed,' said Perdita. "'You're not affected?' said Agnes. "'She felt as if she was on the end of a string "'with someone jerking the other end. "'No, I'm the bit of you that watches, remember?' "'What?' said Piotr. "'I really, really hope this wears off,' said Agnes. "'I keep tripping over my own feet. "'I'm walking wrong. "'My whole body feels wrong.' "'Er, can we go under the castle?' said Piotr. "'She's already there,' said Agnes. "'I don't know how, but—' She stopped and looked at the worried faces, and for a moment she found herself thinking in the way Granny Weatherwax thought. Yes, she said more slowly. I reckon, I mean, I think we ought to get there right away. People have to kill their own vampires. Nanny hurried down the steps again. I told you, she said, that's Esme Weatherwax down there, that is. I told you, I knew she was just biding her time. <laughs> I'd like to see the bloodsucker who could put one over on her. "'I wouldn't,' said Igor fervently. "'Nanny stepped over a vampire who hadn't noticed in the shadows "'a cunning combination of a tripwire, a heavy weight and a stake, "'and opened a door into the courtyard. "'Cooey! Esme!' "'Granny Weatherwax pushed Oates away and stepped forward. "'Is the baby all right?' she said. "'Magrat and Es... young Esme are locked up in the crypt. "'It's a very strong door,' said Nanny.' "'And Scraps is guarding them,' said Igor. "'He's a wonderful guard, dog.' 
Granny raised her eyebrows and looked Igor up and down. I don't think I know this, uh, these, uh, gentlemen, she said. Oh, this is Igor, said Nanny, a man of many parts. So it seems, said Granny. Nanny glared at mightily Oates. What did you bring him for, she said. Couldn't seem to shake him off, said Granny. I always try hiding behind the saw for myself, said Nanny. Oates looked away. There was a scream from somewhere on the battlements. The phoenix had spotted another vampire. All over now, bar sweeping up the dust then, said Nanny. They didn't seem very smart. The Count's still here, said Granny flatly. Oh, I vote we just set fire to the place and go home, said Nanny. It's not as though we'll be coming back to Lancre in a hurry. There's a crowd coming, said Igor. I can't hear anything, said Nanny. I've got very good ears, said Igor. Ah, well, of course, some of us don't get to choose, said Nanny. There was a clattering of footsteps across the bridge, and people were suddenly swarming over the rubble. Isn't that Agnes? said Nanny. Normally there'd be no mistaking the figure advancing across the courtyard, but there was something about the walk, the way every foot thudded down as though the boots were not on speaking terms with the earth, and the arms, too, swung in a way... "'I can't be having with this,' Agnes shouted, marching up to Granny. "'I can't think straight. It's you, isn't it?' Granny reached out and touched the wounds on her neck. "'Oh, I see,' she said. "'One of them bit you, yes? "'Yes, and somehow you spoke to me?' "'Not me. That was something in your blood talking, I reckon,' said Granny. "'Who are all these people? Why is that man trying to set fire to the wall? "'Doesn't he know stone don't burn?' "'Oh, that's Claude. He's a bit single-minded. "'Just let me know if he picks up a stake, will you? "'Look, they're from Escrow. It's a town not far away. "'The Magpiers treated them like, well, pets, farm animals, "'just like they were trying to do back home.' "'We ain't leaving until we've dealt with the Count,' said Granny. "'Otherwise he'll be sneaking back.' "'Um, uh, excuse me,' said Oates, who seemed to have been thinking about something. "'Excuse me, but did someone, um, mention that the Queen was locked up in the crypt?' "'Safe as houses,' said Nanny. "'Huge, thick door, and you can bar it from the inside.' "'How safe are houses from, um, vampires?' said Oates. Granny's head turned sharply. "'What do you mean?' Oates took a step backwards. "'Ah, I know what he means,' said Nanny. "'It's all right, we're not daft. "'She won't open up until she knows it's us.' "'I meant, how does the door stop vampires?' "'Stop them? It's a door.' "'So they can't turn themselves into some sort of mist, then?' said Oates, "'frying in the joint radiation of their stairs. "'Only I thought that vampires could, you see. "'I, I thought everyone knew that who knows anything about vampires.' "'Granny turned on Igor. "'Do you know anything about this?' Igor's mouth opened and shut a few times. "'The old Count never did anything like that,' he said. "'Yes,' said Nanny, "'but he played fair.' There was a rising howl from the depths of the castle, cut off suddenly. "'That was Scraps,' said Igor, breaking into a run. "'Scraps?' said Agnes, wrinkling her brow. Nanny grabbed her arm and dragged her after Igor. Granny swayed a little. Her eyes had an unfocused look. Oates glanced at her, made up his mind, staggered rather theatrically and sprawled in the dust. Granny blinked, shook her head and glared down at him. "'Ah, all too much for you, eh?' she said hoarsely. Trembling fingers reached down for Oates. He took them, taking care not to pull, and stood up. "'If you could just, um, give me a hand,' he said as her grateful weight hit his shoulder. "'Right,' said Granny. "'Now let's find the kitchens.' "'Huh?' 
What do we want with the kitchens? After a night like this, we could all do with a cup of tea, said Granny. Magrat leaned against the door as a second thump rattled the bolts. Beside her, Scraps started to growl. Perhaps it was something to do with his extensive surgery, but Scraps growled in half a dozen different pitches all at once. Then there was silence, which was even more terrifying than the thumping. A faint noise made her look down. A green smoke was pouring out through the keyhole. It was thick and had an oily quality. She darted across the room and snatched up a jar that had contained lemons so sportingly provided by the mysterious old Count that Igor thought so highly of. She wrenched off the lid and held it under the keyhole. When the smoke had filled it up, she dropped a few cloves of garlic in and slammed the lid back on. The jar rocked urgently on the floor. Then Magrat glanced at the lid of the well. When she lifted it up, she heard rushing water a long way below. Well, that was likely, wasn't it? There must be lots of underground rivers in the mountains. She held the jar over the centre of the hole and let it go. Then she slammed the lid back down. Young Esme gurgled in the corner. Magrat hurried over to her and shook a rattle. Look at the pretty bunny rabbit, she said, and darted back again. There was whispering on the other side of the door. Then Nanny Og's voice said, It's all right, dear, we've got them. You can open the door now, Lorks. Magrat rolled her eyes. Is that really you, Nanny? That's right, dear. Thank goodness. Just tell me the joke about the old woman, the priest and the rhinoceros, then I'll let you in. There was a pause and some more whispering. I don't think we've got time for that, dear, said the voice. Ha <laughs> ha. Nice try, said Magrat. I've dropped one of you in the river. Who was it? After some silence, the voice of the Count said, We thought the Countess could persuade you to listen to reason. Not in a jar, she can't, said Magrat, and I've got more jars if you want to try it again. We had hoped that you would be sensible about this, said the Count. However, the door slammed back, pulling the bolts out of the wall. Magrat grabbed the baby and stepped backwards, her other hand raised. You come near me and I'll stab you with this, she shouted. It's a teddy bear, said the Count. I'm afraid it wouldn't work even if you sharpened it. The door was so hard that the wood was like stone with a grain. Someone had once thought hard about the maximum amount of force a really determined mob would be able to apply and had then over-designed. It hung open. But we heard her put the bars across, wailed Nanny. A variously coloured lump was sprawled in front of the door. Igor knelt down and picked up a limp paw. They've killed Scraps, the bastards. They've got Magrat and the baby, snapped Nanny. He was my only friend. Nanny's arm shot out, and despite his bulk, Igor was lifted up by his collar. You're going to have one very serious enemy really soon, my lad, unless you help us out right now, or for heaven's sake. With her spare hand, she reached into her knicker leg and produced a large crumpled handkerchief. Have a good blow, will you? There was a noise like a foghorn being trodden on. Now, where would they take them? This place is swarming with righteous peasants, said Nanny when he'd finished. He was always ready with his waggy tails and his cold nose, Igor sobbed. Where, Igor? Igor pointed with his finger, or at least one that he currently owned, to the far door. That goes to the vaults, he said, and they can get out through the iron gate down in the valley. You'll never catch them. But it's still bolted, said Agnes. Then they're still in the castle, which is stupid. He was interrupted by several huge organ chords which made the floor rumble. Any of the escrow folk, big musicians, said Nanny, lowering Igor. 
How do I know? said Agnes, as another couple of descending cords brought dust down from the ceiling. They wanted to hammer a stake in me and boil me head. That is not the time to ask them to give a little whistle. The organ piped its summons once more. Why'd they stay? said Nanny. They could be dug in deep somewhere by now. Oh, Granny wouldn't run, said Agnes. No, Granny Weatherwax likes a showdown, said Nanny, grinning artfully. And they're thinking like her. Somehow she's making them think like her. She thinks like her too, said Agnes. Let's hope she's had more practice then, said Nanny. Come on. Lacrimosa pulled an organ stop marked ghastly face at window and was rewarded with a chord, a crash of thunder and a slightly mechanical scream. "'Thank goodness we don't take after your side of the family, father. "'That's all I can say,' she said. "'Although I suppose it could be fun "'if we could arrange some sort of mechanical linkage to the torture chamber. "'That certainly wasn't a very realistic scream.' "'This is ridiculous,' said Vlad. "'We've got the child, we've got the woman. "'Why don't we just leave? "'There are plenty of other castles.' "'That would be running away,' said the Count. "'And surviving.' "'said Vlad, rubbing his head. "'We don't run,' said the Count. "'And, no, step back, please.' "'This was to the mob, "'which was hovering uncertainly just inside the doors. "'Mobs become uncertain very quickly "'in view of the absence of a central brain, "'and in this case the hesitation was caused "'by the sight of Magrat and the baby. "'Vlad had a bruise on his forehead. "'A push-and-go wooden duck on wheels "'can cause quite a lot of damage "'if wielded with enough force. "'Well done,' said the Count, "'cradling baby Esme on one arm.' Magrat writhed to escape the grip of his other hand, but it clamped her wrist like steel. You see? Absolute obedience. It's just as in chess. If you take the queen, you've as good as won. It doesn't matter if a few pawns are lost. That's a very nasty way to talk about mother, said Vlad. I'm very attached to your mother, said the Count, and she'll find a way to return in the fullness of time. A voyage will be good for her health. Some fishermen will find the jar, and next thing you know she'll be back with us, fat and healthy. Ah, the inestimable Mrs. Og. Don't you go smarming me, snapped Nanny, pushing her way through the bewildered crowd. I'm fed up with you smarming at me, smarmily, as if you were Mr. Smarm. Now you just free the both of them, or... Ah, so quickly we get to awe, sighed the Count. But I will say... "'You will all leave the castle, and then we shall see. "'Perhaps we shall let the Queen go, but the little princess, isn't she charming? "'She can remain as our guest. She'll brighten the place up.' "'She's coming back to Lancre with us, you bastard!' screamed Magrat. "'She twisted in the Count's grip and tried to slap him, "'but Agnes saw her face whiten as his hand tightened on her wrist. "'That's very bad language for a Queen,' said the Count, "'and I am still very strong, even for a vampire.' But you're right. We shall all go back to Lankra, one big happy family living in the castle. I must say this place is losing its attractions. Oh, don't blame yourself, Mrs. Og. I'm sure others will do that for you. He stopped. A sound that had been on the edge of hearing was getting louder. It had a rhythmic, almost tinny sound. The crowd parted. Granny Weatherwax walked forward, slowly stirring. "'No milk in this place,' she said. "'Not to be wondered at, really. "'I sliced a bit of lemon, but it's not the same, I always think.' "'She laid the spoon in the saucer with a clink that echoed around the hall "'and gave the Count a smile. "'Am I too late?' she said. "'The bolts rattled back one by one. "'It's gone too far,' Igor muttered. "'The old master wouldn't.' 
The door creaked back on lovingly rusted hinges. Cool, dry air puffed out of the darkness. Igor fumbled with some matches and lit a torch. It's all very well wanting a nice long rest, but this is a disgrace. He ran along the dark corridors, half rough masonry, half sheer naked rock, and reached another chamber that was completely empty apart from a large stone sarcophagus in the centre, on the side of which was carved Magpier. He stuffed the torch into a bracket, removed his coat, and after considerable pushing, heaved the stone lid aside. Sorry about this, master, he grunted as it thudded to the ground. Inside the coffin, grey dust twinkled in the torchlight. Coming up here, messing everything up, Igor picked up his coat and took a thick wad of material out of his pocket. He unrolled it on the edge of the stone. Now the light glinted off an array of scalpels, scissors and needles. Threatening little babies now? You never done that. Only adventurous females over the age of seventeen and looking good in a nighty, you always said. He selected a scalpel and with some care nicked the little finger of his left hand. A drop of blood appeared, swelled and dropped onto the dust where it smoked. That one's for scraps, said Igor with grim satisfaction. By the time he'd reached the door, white mist was already pouring over the edge of the coffin. I'm an old lady, said Granny Weatherwax, looking around sternly. I'd like to sit down, thank you very much. A bench was rushed forward. Granny sat and eyed the Count. What were you saying? she said. Ah, Esmeralda, said the Count. At last you come to join us. The call of the blood is too strong to be disobeyed, yes? I hope so, said Granny. We're all going to walk out of here, Miss Weatherwax. You're not leaving here, said Granny. She stirred the tea again. The eyes of all three vampires swivelled to follow the spoon. "'You have no choice but to obey me. You know that,' said the Count. "'Oh, there's always a choice,' said Granny. Vlad and Lacrimosa leaned down on either side of their father. There was some hurried whispering. The Count looked up. "'No, you couldn't have resisted it,' he said. "'Not even you.' "'I won't say it didn't cost me,' said Granny. She stirred the tea again. There was more whispering. "'We do have the Queen and the Baby,' said the Count. "'I believe you think highly of them.' Granny raised the cup halfway to her lips. "'Kill em, she said. "'It won't benefit you.' "'Esme!' snapped Nanny Og and Magrat together. Granny put the cup back in the saucer. Agnes thought she saw Vlad sigh. She could feel the pull herself. "'I know what she did,' whispered Perdita. "'So do I,' thought Agnes. "'He's bluffing,' Granny said. "'Oh, you'd like a vampire queen one day, would you?' said Lacrimosa. "'Had one once, in Lancre,' said Granny conversationally. "'Poor woman got bitten by one of you people. "'Got by on blue steak and such. "'Never laid a tooth on anyone the way I heard it. "'Griminier the Impaler she was.' "'The Impaler?' "'Oh, I just said she wasn't a bloodsucker. "'I didn't say she was a nice person,' said Granny. "'She didn't mind shedding blood, but she drew the line at drinking it.' You don't have to, neither. You know nothing about true vampires. I know more than you think, and I know about Githa Og, said Granny. Nanny Og blinked. Granny Weatherwax raised the teacup again, and then lowered it. She likes a drink. She'll tell you it has to be best brandy. Nanny nodded affirmation. And that's certainly what she desires. But really, she'll settle for beer just like everyone else. Nanny Og shrugged as Granny went on. But you wouldn't settle for black puddings, would you? Because what you really drink is power.
over people. I know you like I know myself, and one of the things I know is that you ain't going to hurt a hair of that child's head. Leastways, and here Granny absent-mindedly stirred the tea again, if she had any yet, you wouldn't. You can't, see? She picked up the cup and carefully scraped it on the edge of the saucer. Agnes saw Lacrimosa's lips part hungrily. So all I'm really here for, do you see, is to see whether you get justice or mercy, said Granny. It's just a matter of choosing. You really think we wouldn't harm meat, said Lacrimosa, striding forward. Watch! She brought her hand down hard towards the baby and then jerked back as if she'd been stung. Can't do it, said Granny. I nearly broke my arm. Shame, said Granny calmly. You've put some... something magical in the child, haven't you? said the Count. Can't imagine who'd think I'd do such a thing, said Granny, while behind her Nanny Og looked down at her boots. So here's my offer, you see. You hand back McGrath and the baby, and we'll chop your heads off. And that's what you call justice, is it? said the Count. No, that's what I call mercy, said Granny. She put the cup back in the saucer. For goodness sake, woman, are you going to drink that damn tea or not? roared the Count. Granny sipped it and made a face. Why, what have I been thinking of? I've been so busy talking it's got cold, she said, and daintily tipped the contents of the cup onto the floor. Lacrimosa groaned. It'll probably wear off soon, Granny went on in the same easy voice, but until it does, you see, you'll not harm a child. You'll not harm Magrat. You hate the thought of drinking blood, and you won't run because you'll never run from a challenge. What will wear off, said Vlad. Oh, they're strong, your walls of thought, said Granny dreamily. I couldn't get through them. The Count smiled. Granny smiled too. So, I didn't, she added. The mist rolled through the crypt, flowing along the floor, walls and ceiling. It poured up the steps and along a tunnel, the billows boiling ahead on one another as though engaged in a war. An unwary rat creeping across the flagstones was too late. The mist flowed over it. There was a squeak, cut off, and when the mist had gone, a few small white bones were all that remained. Some equally small bones, but fully assembled and wearing a black hooded robe and carrying a tiny scythe, appeared out of nowhere and walked over to them. Skeletal claws tippy-tapped on the stone. Squeak, said the ghost of the rat pathetically. Squeak, said the death of rats. This was all it really needed to know. "'You wanted to know where I'd put myself,' said Granny. "'I didn't go anywhere. "'I just put it in something alive and you took it. "'You invited me in. "'I'm in every muscle in your body and I'm in your head. "'Oh, yes, I was in the blood, Count. "'In the blood. "'I ain't been vampired. "'You've been weatherwaxed, all of you. "'And you've always listened to your blood, haven't you?' "'The Count stared at her, open-mouthed. The spoon dropped out of her saucer and tinkled onto the floor, raising a wave in a thin white mist. It was rolling in from the walls, leaving a shrinking circle of black and white tiles in the middle of which were the vampires. Igor pushed his way through the crowd until he was alongside Nanny. It's all right, he said. I couldn't let it go on. It was disgraceful. The mist rose in a boiling tower. There was a moment of discontinuity, a feeling of sliced time, and then a figure stood behind Vlad and Lacrimosa. He was rather taller than most men, and wearing evening dress that might have been in style once upon a time. 
His hair was streaked with grey and brushed back over his ears in a way that gave the impression his head had been designed for its aerodynamic efficiency. Beautifully manicured hands gripped the shoulders of the younger vampires. Lacrimosa turned to scratch him and cowered when he snarled like a tiger. Then the face returned to something closer to human and the newcomer smiled. He seemed genuinely pleased to see everyone. "'Good morning,' he said. "'Another bloody vampire?' said Nanny. "'Not any old vampire,' said Igor, hopping from one foot to the other. "'It's the old master. Old Red Eyes is back.' Granny stood up, ignoring the tall figure firmly holding the two suddenly docile vampires. She advanced on the count. "'I know all about what you can and can't do,' she said, "'because you let me in, "'and that means you can't do what I can't do, "'and you think just like me, "'the difference being I've done it longer "'and I'm better than you at it.' "'You're meat,' snarled the Count. "'Clever meat.' "'And you invited me in,' said Granny. "'I'm not the sort to go where I'm not welcome, I'm sure.' "'In the Count's arms the baby started to cry.' He stood up. How sure are you that I won't harm this child? He said. I wouldn't, so you can't. The Count's face contorted as he wrestled with his feelings and also with Magrat, who was kicking him on the shins. It could have worked, he said, and for the first time the certainty had been drained from his voice. You mean it could have worked for you? shouted Agnes. We are vampires, we cannot help what we are. Only animals can't help what they are, said Granny. Will you give me the child now? If I... the Count began and then straightened up. No, I don't have to bargain. I can fight you, just as you fought me. And if I walk out of here now, I don't think there's anyone who'll dare stop me. Look at you, all of you, and look at me. And now look at him. He nodded at the figure holding Vlad and Lacrimosa as still as statues. Is that what you want? Sorry, who is this we're supposed to be looking at? said Granny. Oh, Eagle's old master, the old Count Magpier, I believe. The old Count nodded gracefully. Your servant, madam, he said. I doubt it, said Granny. Oh, no one minded him, said Piotr, from among the escrow citizens. He only ever came round every few years, and anyway, if you remembered about the garlic, he wasn't a problem. He didn't expect us to like him. The old Count smiled at him. You look familiar. One of the Ravi family, aren't you? Piotr, sir, son of Hans. Ah, yes, very similar bone structure. Do remember me to your grandmother. She passed away ten years ago, sir. Oh, really? I am so sorry. Time goes so quickly when you're dead. The old master sighed. A very fine figure in a nightdress, as I recall. Uh, he was all right, said someone else in the crowd. We got a nip every now and again, but we got over it. That's a familiar voice, said the vampire. Are you a Vezen? Yes, sir. Related to Arno Vezen? Great granddaddy, sir. Good man. Killed me stone dead 75 years ago. Stake right through the heart from 20 paces. You should be proud. The man in the crowd beamed with ancestral pride. "'We've still got the stake hung up over the fireplace, Your Honour,' he said. "'Well done. Good man. I like to see the old ways kept up.' Count Magpier screamed. "'You can't possibly prefer that! He's a monster!' 
But he never made an appointment, shouted Agnes even louder. I bet he never thought it was all just an arrangement. Count Magpier was edging towards the door with his hostages. No, he said, this is not how it's going to happen. If anyone really believes that I won't harm my charming hostages, perhaps you will try to stop me. Does anyone really believe that old woman? Nanny Og opened her mouth, caught Granny's eye and shut it again. The crowd parted behind the Count as he dragged Magrat towards the door. He walked into the figure of Mightily Oats. Um, have you ever thought of letting Om into your life? said the priest. His voice trembled, his face glistened with sweat. Oh, you again, said the Count. If I can resist her, little boy, you are not a problem. Oates held his axe before him as if it was made of some rare and delicate metal. Begone, foul fiend, he began. Oh, dear me, said the Count, thrusting the axe aside. And don't you learn anything, you stupid man, little stupid man who has a little stupid faith in a little stupid god. But it lets me see things as they are, Oates managed. Really? And you think you can stand in my way? An axe isn't even a holy symbol. Oh, Oates looked crestfallen. Agnes saw his shoulders sag as he lowered the blade. Then he looked up, smiled brightly, and said, Uh, let's make it so. Agnes saw the blade leave a gold trail in the air as it swept around. There was a soft, almost silken sound. The axe dropped onto the flagstones. In the sudden silence it clanged like a bell. Then Oates reached out and snatched the child from the vampire's unresisting hands. He held her out to Magrat, who took her in shocked silence. The first sound after that was the rustle of Granny's dress as she stood up and walked over to the axe. She nudged it with her foot. If I've got a fault, she said, contriving to suggest that this was only a theoretical possibility, it's not knowing when to turn and run, and I tends to bluff on a weak hand. Her voice echoed in the hall. No one else had even breathed out yet. She nodded at the Count, who'd slowly raised his hands to the red wound that ran all around his neck. It was a sharp axe, she said. Who says there's no mercy in the world? Just don't nod, that's all. And someone'll take you down to a nice cold coffin, and I dare say fifty years will just fly past, and maybe you'll wake with enough sense to be stupid. There was a murmur from the mob as they came back to life. Granny shook her head. They want you deader than that, I see, she said, as the Count gazed ahead of him with frozen, desperate eyes, and the blood welled and seeped between his fingers. And there's ways. Oh, yes. We could burn you to ashes and scatter them in the sea. This met with a general sigh of approval. Or throw them up in the air in the middle of a gale. This got a smattering of applause. Or just pay some sailor to drop you over the edge. This even got a few whistles. Of course you'd come back alive again, I suppose, one day. But just floating in space for millions of years. Oh, that sounds very boring to me. She raised a hand to silence the crowd. Now, fifty years to think about things, that's about right. People need vampires, she said. They help them remember what steaks and garlic are for. She snapped her fingers at the crowd. Come on, two of you take him down to the vaults. Show some respect for the dead. That's not enough, said Piotr, stepping forward. Not after all he... Then when he comes back, you deal with him yourself, snapped Granny loudly. Teach your children. Don't trust the cannibal just because he's using a knife and fork. And remember that vampires don't go where they're not invited. They backed away. Granny relaxed a little. 
This time round, it's up to me. My choice. She leaned closer to the Count's horrible grimace. You tried to take my mind away from me, she said in a lower voice, and that's everything to me. Reflect on that. Try to learn. She stood back. Take him away. She turned away to the tall figure. So, you're the old master, are you? She said. Alison Weatherwax, said the old master. I have a good memory for necks. Granny froze for a second. What? No. Uh, How do you know the name? Why, she passed through here, what, fifty years ago? We met briefly and then she cut off my head and stuck a stick in my heart. The Count sighed happily. A very spirited woman. You're a relative, I presume? I lose track of generations, I'm afraid. Granddaughter, said Granny weakly. There's a phoenix outside the castle, Igor tells me. It'll leave, I expect, the Count nodded. I've always rather liked them, he said wistfully. There were so many of them when I was young. They made the knights pretty, so pretty. Everything was so much simpler then. His voice trailed off and then came back louder. But now, apparently, we're in modern times. That's what they say, murmured Granny. Well, madam, I've never taken too much notice of them. Fifty years later, they never seem so modern as all that. He shook the younger vampires like dolls. I do apologize for my nephew's behavior. Quite out of keeping for a vampire. Would you people from escrow like to kill these two? It's the least I could do. Ain't they your relatives? said Nanny Og as the crowd surged forward. Oh, yes, but we've never been much of a species for playing happy families. Vlad looked imploringly at Agnes and reached out to her. You wouldn't let them kill me, would you? You wouldn't let them do this to me. We could have... we might... You, you wouldn't, would you? The crowd hesitated. This sounded like an important plea. A hundred pairs of eyes stared at Agnes. She took his hand. I suppose we could work on him, said Perdita. But Agnes thought about escrow, and the queues, and the children playing while they waited, and how evil might come animal-sharp in the night, or greyly by day on a list. Vlad, she said gently, looking deep into his eyes, I'd even hold their coats. A fine sentiment, but that ain't happening, said Granny behind her. You take em away, Count. Teach em the old ways. Teach em stupidity. The Count nodded and grinned toothily. Certainly. I shall teach them that to live, you have to rise again. Eh, you don't live, Count. The Phoenix lives. You just don't know you're dead. Now get along with you. There was another moment sliced out of time, and then a flock of magpies rose up from where the three vampires had been, screaming and chattering, and disappeared in the darkness of the roof. There's hundreds of them, said Agnes to Nanny. "'Well, vampires can turn into things,' said Nanny. "'Everyone knows that who knows anything about vampires.' "'And what do three hundred magpies mean?' "'They mean it's time to put covers on all the furniture,' said Nanny, "'and that it's time for me to have a very big drink.' "'The crowd began to break up, aware that the big show was over. "'Why didn't she just let us wipe them out?' hissed Piotr by Agnes's ear. "'Death's too good for them.' "'Yes,' said Agnes. I suppose that's why she didn't let them have it. Oates hadn't moved. 
He was still staring straight ahead of him, but his hands were shaking. Agnes led him gently to a bench and eased him down. "'I killed him, didn't I?' he whispered. "'Sort of,' said Agnes. "'It's a bit hard to tell with vampires. "'There was just nothing else to do. "'Everything just went... Uh, "'The air just went gold, "'and there was just this one moment to uh, do something.' "'I don't think anyone's complaining,' said Agnes. "'You've got to admit he's quite attractive,' whispered Perdita, "'if only he'd do something about that boil.' Magrat sat down on the other side of Oates, clutching the baby. She breathed deeply a few times. "'That was very brave of you,' she said. "'No, it wasn't,' said Oates hoarsely. "'I thought Mistress Weatherwax was going to do something.' "'She did,' said Magrat, shivering. "'Oh, she did.' Granny Weatherwax sat down on the other end of the bench and pinched the bridge of her nose. "'I just want to go home now,' she said. "'I just want to go home and sleep for a week.' She yawned. "'Oh, I'm dying for a cuppa.' "'I thought you'd made one,' said Agnes. "'You had us slavering for it.' "'Where'd I get tea here? "'It was just some mud in water. "'But I know Nanny keeps a bag of it somewhere on her person,' she yawned again. "'Make the tea, Magrat.' Agnes opened her mouth, but Magrat waved her into silence and then handed her the baby. "'Certainly, Granny,' she said, gently pushing Agnes back into her seat. "'I'll just find out where Igor keeps the kettle, shall I?' Mightily Oates stepped out onto the battlements. The sun was well up and a breeze was blowing in over the forests of Uberwald. A few magpies chattered in the trees nearest the castle. Granny was leaning with her elbows on the wall, staring out over the thinning mists. "'It looks like it's going to be a fine day,' said Oates happily, and he did feel happy to his amazement. There was sharpness to the air, and the sense of the future brimming with possibilities. He remembered the moment when he'd swung the axe, when both of him had swung it together. Perhaps there was a way. "'There's a storm coming down from the hub later,' said Granny. "'Well, at least that'll be good for the crops, then,' said Oates. Something flickered overhead. In the new daylight the wings of the phoenix were hard to see, mere yellow shimmers in the air, with the tiny shape of the little hawk in the centre as it circled high over the castle. "'Why would anyone want to kill something like that?' said Oates. "'Oh, some people will kill anything for the fun of it.' "'Is it a true bird, or is it something that exists within a bird?' "'It's a thing, that is,' said Granny sharply. "'Don't go spilling allegory all down your shirt.' "'Well, I feel blessed.' "'To have seen it.' "'Really?' "'I generally feel the same about the sunrise,' said Granny. "'You would too at my time of life.' She sighed and then seemed to be speaking mainly to herself. "'She never went to the bad, then, whatever people said. "'And you'd have to be on your toes with that old vampire. "'She never went to the bad. "'You heard him say that, right? "'He said it. "'He didn't have to.' "'Er, uh, yes. "'She'd have been older than me, too.' "'Bloody good witch she was, Nana Allison. "'Sharp as a knife. "'Had her funny little ways, of course, but who hasn't?' "'No one I know, certainly. "'Right, you're right,' Granny straightened up. "'Good,' she said. "'Um, yes?' "'Oates was looking down at the drawbridge and the road to the castle. "'There's a man in a nightshirt covered in mud and waving a sword down there,' he said, "'followed by a lot of uh, Lankra people and some, um, little blue men.' He looked down again. At least it looks like mud, he added. That'll be the king, said Granny. Big Aggie's given him some of her bros by the sound of it. He'll save the day. Um, 
Hasn't the day been saved? Oh, he's the king. It looks like it might be a nice day, so let him save it. You've got to give kings something to do. Anyway, after a drink from Big Aggie, he won't know what day it is. We'd better get down there. I feel I should thank you, said Oates, when they reached the spiral staircase. For helping you across the mountains, you mean? The world is, um, different. Oates's gaze went out across the haze and the forests and the purple mountains. Everywhere I look, I see something holy. For the first time since he'd met her, he saw Granny Weatherwax smile properly. Normally her mouth went up at the corners just before something unpleasant was going to happen to someone who deserved it, but this time she appeared to be pleased with what she'd heard. That's a start, then, she said. The Magpier's coach had been righted and dragged up to the castle. Now it returned with Jason Ogg at the reins. He was concentrating on avoiding the bumps. They made his bruises tender. Besides, the royal family was on board and he was feeling extremely loyal at the moment. Jason Ogg was very big and very strong and therefore not a violent man because he did not need to be. Sometimes he was summoned down to the pub to sort out the mere serious fights, which he usually did by picking up both contestants and holding them apart until they stopped struggling. If that didn't work, he'd bang them together a few times in as friendly a way as possible. Aggressiveness did not normally impress him, but since in yesterday's battle at Lancre Castle he'd had to physically lift Verence off the ground in order to stop him slaughtering enemies' friends' furniture, walls and his own feet, he was certainly seeing his king in a new light. It had turned out to be an extremely short battle. The mercenaries had been only too keen to surrender, especially after Sean's assault. The real fight had been to keep Verence away from them long enough to allow them to say so. Jason was impressed. King Verence, inside the coach, laid his head in his wife's lap and groaned as she wiped his brow with a cloth. At a respectable distance, the coach was followed by a cart containing the witches, although what it contained mostly was snore. Granny Weatherwax had a primal snore. It had never been tamed. No one had ever had to sleep next to it to curb its wilder excesses by means of a kick, a prod in the small of the back, or a pillow used as a bludgeon. It had had years in a lonely bedroom to perfect the unimpeded by the nudges, jabs and occasional attempts at murder that usually moderate the snore impulse over time. She sprawled in the straw at the bottom of the cart, mouth open, and snored. You half expect to find the shafts sawed through, don't you? said Nanny, who was leading the horse. Still, you can hear it doing her good. I'm a bit worried about Mr Oates, though, said Agnes. He's just sitting there and grinning. Oates was sitting with his legs over the tail of the cart, staring happily at the sky. Did he hit his head? said Nanny. I don't think so. Let him be, then. At least he ain't setting fire to anything. Oh, here's an old friend. Igor, tongue protruding from the corner of his mouth in the ferocity of his concentration, was putting the finishing touches to a new sign. It read... Why not visit our gifty shoppy? He stood up and nodded as the cart drew near. The old master came up with some new ideas while he was dead, he said, feeling that some explanation was called for. This afternoon I've got to start building a fun fair, whatever that is. That's basically swings, said Nanny. Igor brightened up. Oh, I've plenty of rope, and I've always been a dab hand at nooses, he said. No, that's not, Agnes began, but Nanny Og cut in quickly. 
"'I suppose it all depends on who's going to have the fun,' she said. "'We'll be seeing you, Igor. "'Don't do anything I wouldn't do "'if you ever find anything I wouldn't do.' "'We're very sorry about scraps,' said Agnes. "'Perhaps we can find you a puppy, or... "'Thanks all the same, but no. "'There's only one scraps.' "'He waved to them until they were round the next bend. "'As Agnes turned round again, she saw the three magpies. "'They were perched on a branch over the road.' Three for a funeral?' she began. A stone whirred up. There was an indignant squawk and a shower of feathers. Two for mirth?' said Nanny, in a self-satisfied voice. "'Nanny! That was cheating!' "'Witches always cheat,' said Nanny Og. She glanced back at the sleeping figure behind them. "'Everyone knows that who knows anything about witches.' They went home to Lancre. It had been raining again. Water had seeped into Oates's tent and also into the harmonium which now emitted an occasional squashed frog burp when it was played. The songbooks also smelled rather distressingly of a cat. He gave up on them and turned to the task of disassembling his camp bed, which had skinned two knuckles and crushed one finger when he put it up and still looked as though it was designed for a man shaped like a banana. Oates was aware that he was trying to avoid thinking. On the whole, he was happy with this. There was something pleasing about simply getting on with simple tasks and listening to his own breath. Perhaps there was a way. From outside there was the faint sound of something wooden hitting something hollow and whispering on the evening air. He peered through the tent flap. People were filing stealthily into the field. The first few were carrying planks. Several were pushing barrels. He stood with his mouth open as the very rough benches were constructed and began to fill up. A number of the men had bandages across their noses, he noticed. Then he heard the rattle of wheels and saw the royal coach lurch through the gateway. This woke him up and he scurried back into the tent, pulling damp clothes out of his bag in a frantic search for a clean shirt. His hat had never been found and his coat was caked with mud. The leather of his shoes was cracked and the buckles had instantly tarnished in the acid marshes, but surely a clean shirt... Someone tried to knock on the damp canvas, and then after an interval of half a second stepped into the tent. "'Are you decent?' said Nanny Og, looking him up and down. "'We're all out here waiting, you know. Lost sheep waiting to be shorn, you might say,' she added, her manner suggesting very clearly that she was doing something that she personally disapproved of, but doing it just the same. Oates turned around. "'Mrs Og, I know you don't, um, like me very much.' "'Don't see why I should like you at all,' said Nanny. "'What with you tagging after Esme "'and her having to help you all the way across the mountains like that?' "'The response was screaming up Oates's throat "'before he noticed the faint, knowing look in Nanny's eyes "'and he managed to turn it into a cough. <clears throat> "'Um, yes,' he said. "'Yes, silly of me, wasn't it? "'Um, how many are out there, Mrs Og? "'Only a hundred, maybe a hundred and fifty. "'Leavers,' thought Oates and had a fleeting vision of the pictures in Nanny's parlour. She controls the levers of a lot of people, but someone pulled her lever first, I'll bet. And what do they expect of me? Says even song on the poster, said Nanny simply. Even beer would be better. So he went out and saw the watching faces of a large part of Lunker's population lined up in the late afternoon light. The king and queen were in the front row, Verence nodded regally at Oates to signal that whatever it was that he intended ought to start around now. It was clear from the body language of Nanny Og that any specifically Omnian prayers would not be tolerated, and Oates made do with a generic prayer of thanks to any god that might be listening, and even to the ones who weren't. 
Then he pulled out the stricken harmonium and tried a few chords until Nanny elbowed him aside, rolled up her sleeves and coaxed notes out of the damp bellows that Oates never even knew were in there. The singing wasn't very enthusiastic, though, until Oates tossed aside the noisome songbook and taught them some of the songs he remembered from his grandmother, full of fire and thunder and death and justice and tunes you could actually whistle, with titles like Om Shall Trample the Ungodly and Lift Me Up to the Skies and Light the Good Light. They went down well. Lankra people weren't too concerned about religion, but they knew what it ought to sound like. While he led the singing, with the aid of a long stick and the words of the hymns scrawled on the side of his tent, he scanned his, well, he decided to call it, his congregation. It was his first real one. There were plenty of women and a lot of very well-scrubbed men, but one face was patently not there. Its absence dominated the scene. But as he raised his eyes upwards in mid-song, he did notice an eagle far overhead, a mere speck gyrating across the darkening sky, possibly hunting for lost lambs. And then it was over, and people left quietly, with the look of those who'd done a job which had not been unpleasant, but which was nevertheless over. The collection plate produced two pennies, some carrots, a large onion, a small loaf, a pound of mutton, a jug of milk, and a pickled pig's trotter. "'We're not really a cash economy,' said King Verence, stepping forward. He had a bandage across his forehead. "'Oh, it'll make a good supper, sire,' said Oates, in the madly cheerful voice that people use when addressing royalty. "'Surely you'll dine with us,' said Magrat. "'I, um, was planning to leave at first light, sire, "'so I really ought to spend the, uh, evening, um, packing "'and setting fire to the camp bed.' "'Leaving? But I thought you were staying here. "'I've taken community soundings,' said the king, "'and I think I can say that popular opinion is, um, with me on this.' "'Oates looked at Magrat's face, which said plainly, "'Granny doesn't object.' "'Well, I, um... "'I expect I shall pass through again, sire,' he said. "'But to tell you the truth, I was thinking of heading on to Uberwald.' "'That's a, a hellish place, Mr. Oates. "'I've thought about it all day, sire, and I'm set on it.' "'Oh!' Verence looked nonplussed, but Kings learned to swing back upright. "'I'm sure you know your own mind best.' "'He swayed slightly as Magrat's elbow grazed his ribs. "'Oh, yes, we heard you lost your, um... "'Holy amulet, and so this afternoon we, uh, that is to say the Queen and Miss Knit, "'got Sean Og to make this in the mint.' "'Oates unwrapped the black velvet scroll. "'Inside, on a golden chain, was a small golden double-headed axe. "'He stared at it. "'Sean isn't very good at turtles,' said Magrat, to fill the gap. "'I shall treasure it,' said Oates at last. "'Of course,' "'We appreciate it's not very holy,' said the king. Oates waved a hand dismissively. "'Who knows, sire? Holiness is where you find it,' he said. Behind the king, Jason and Darren Og were standing respectfully to attention. Both still had plasters stuck across their noses. They moved aside hurriedly to make way for the king, who didn't seem to notice. Nanny Og struck a chord on the harmonium when the royal couple had departed with their retinue. If you drop into our Jason's forge first thing when you're leaving, I'll see to it he fixes the bellows on this contraption, she said diffidently, and Oates realised that in the context of Nanny Og, this was as close as he was going to get to three rousing cheers and the grateful thanks of the population. I was so impressed that everyone turned up of their own free will, he said, spontaneously, um, as it were. Don't push your luck, sonny boy, 
said Nanny, getting up. Nice to have met you, Mrs. Ogg. Nanny walked away a few steps, but Ogg's never left anything unsaid. I can't say as I approve of you, she said stiffly, but should you ever come knocking on an Ogg door in these parts, you'll, you'll get a hot meal. You're too skinny. I've seen more meat on a butcher's pencil. Thank you. Not necessarily pudding as well, Mark, you? Of course not. Well then, Nanny Ogg shrugged. Best of luck in Uberwald, then. Om will go with me, I'm sure, said Oates. He was interested in how annoyed you could make Nanny by speaking calmly to her, and wondered if Granny Weatherwax had tried it. I hope he does, said Nanny. I personally don't want him hanging around here. When she'd gone, Oates lit a fire of the horrible bed and stuck the songbooks around it to dry out. Hello. The thing about a witch in darkness is that all you see is her face bobbing towards you, surrounded by black. Then a little contrast reasserted itself, and an area of shadow detached from the rest and became Agnes. "'Oh, uh, good evening,' said Oates. "'Thank you for coming. I've never heard anyone singing in harmony with themselves before.' Agnes coughed nervously. "'Are you really going on into Uberwald? There's no reason to stay here, uh, is there?' Agnes's left arm twitched a few times. She steadied it with her right hand. "'Spouse not?' she said in a small voice. Now shut up, this is not the time. I beg your pardon? I was just, er, talking to myself, said Agnes wretchedly. Look, everyone knows you helped Granny. They just pretend they don't. Yes, I, um, know. You don't mind? Oates shrugged. Agnes coughed. I thought perhaps you were going to stay on here for a while. There'd be no point. I'm not needed here. I shouldn't think vampires and so on would be very keen on singing hymns, said Agnes quietly. Perhaps they can learn something else, said Oates. I shall see what may be done. Agnes stood hesitantly for a few moments. I've got to give you this, she said, suddenly handing over a small bag. Oates reached inside and took out a small jar. Inside, a phoenix feather burned, lighting up the field with a clear, cool light. It's from... Agnes began... I know who it's from, said Oates. Is Mistress Weatherwax all right? I didn't see her here. Um, she's having a rest today. Well, thank her from me, will you? She said it's to take into dark places. Oates laughed. Er, uh, yes, um, well, I might come and see you off in the morning, said Agnes uncertainly. That would be nice of you. So, um, until, you know, yes. Agnes seemed to be struggling with some inner resistance. Then she said, And, er, uh, there's something I've been meaning to... I mean, perhaps you could, er... Uh... Yes? Agnes's right hand dived urgently into her pocket and she pulled out a small package wrapped in greased paper. It's a poultice, she blurted out. It's a very good recipe, and the book says it always works, and if you heat it up and leave it on it, it'll do wonders for your boil. Oates took it gently. It's just possible that's the nicest thing anyone's ever given me, he said. Er, uh, good. It's from, um, both of us. Goodbye. Oates watched her leave the circle of light, and then something drew his eye upwards again. The circling eagle had risen above the shadow of the mountains and into the light of the setting sun. For a moment it flashed gold and then dropped into the dark again. From up here, the eagle could see for miles across the mountains, over Uberwald the threatened storm had broken, 
Lightning scribbled across the sky. Some of it cracked around the highest tower of Don't Go Near, the castle, and on the rain hat that Igor wore to stop his head rusting. It raised little balls of glowing light on the big telescopic iron spike, as taking care to stand on his portable rubber mat, he patiently wound it upwards. At the foot of the apparatus, which was already humming with high tension, was a bundle wrapped in a blanket. The spike locked itself into position. Igor sighed and waited. All right, look. Fetch. Fetch. There we go. Death watched Scraps bound away. He wasn't used to this. It wasn't that people weren't sometimes glad to see him, because the penultimate moments of life were often crowded and complex, and a cool figure in black came as something of a relief. But he'd never encountered quite this amount of enthusiasm, or if it came to it, this amount of flying mucus. It was disconcerting. It made him feel he wasn't doing his job properly. There's a satisfactory dog. Now, drop. Let go, please. Did you hear me say let go? Let go this minute. Scraps bounced away. This was far too much fun to end. There was a soft chiming from within his robe. Death rubbed his hand on the cloth in an effort to get it dry and brought out a lifetimer, its sand all pooled in the bottom bulb. But the glass itself was misshapen, twisted, covered in welts of raised glass, and as Death watched, it filled up with crackling blue light. Normally, Death was against this sort of thing, but he reasoned as he snapped his fingers, at the moment it looked as though it was the only way he'd get his scythe back. The lightning hit. There was a smell of singed wool. Igor waited a while and then trudged around to the bundle, trailing molten rubber behind him. Kneeling down, he carefully unwrapped the blanket. Scraps yawned. A large tongue licked Igor's hand. As he smiled with relief, there came from far down below in the castle the sound of a mighty organ playing Toccata for young women in underwired nightdresses. The eagle swooped on into the bowl of Lancre. The long light glowed on the lake and on the big V-shaped ripple, made up of many small V-shaped ripples that arrowed through the water towards the unsuspecting island. The voices echoed around the mountains. See you, Otter, Taggy Jins McLeady, we freemen, Nack McFeagle. The eagle passed overhead, dropping fast and steep now. It drifted silently over the shadowy woods, curved over the trees, and landed suddenly on a branch beside a cottage in a clearing. Granny Weatherwax awoke. Her body did not move, but her gaze darted this way and that sharply, and in the gloom her nose looked more hooked than normal. Then she settled back and her shoulders lost the hunch-perching look. After a while she stood up, stretched, and went to the doorway. The night felt warmer. She could feel greenness in the ground, uncoiling. The year was past the edge, heading away from the dark. Of course dark would come again, but that was in the nature of the world. Many things were beginning. When at last she'd shut the door, she lit the fire, took the box of candles out of the dresser, and lit every single one, and put them around the room in saucers. On the table, the pool of water that had accumulated in the last two days rippled and rose gently in the middle. Then a drip soared upwards and plopped into the damp patch in the ceiling. Granny wound up the clock and started the pendulum. She left the room for a moment and came back with a square of cardboard attached to a loop of elderly string. She sat down in the rocking chair and reached down into the hearth for a stick of half-burned wood. 
The clock ticked as she wrote. Another drop left the table and plunged towards the ceiling. Then Granny Weatherwax hung the sign around her neck and lay back with a smile. The chair rocked for a while, a counterpoint to the dripping of the table and the ticking of the clock, and then slowed. The sign read, I still ain't dead. The light faded from can to can't. After a few minutes, an owl woke up in a nearby tree and sailed out over the forests. That is the end of Carpe Jugulum. It was written by Terry Pratchett and read by Nigel Planer.